Father, we do indeed pray that the mind of Christ, our Saviour, would fill our hearts as we hear from you in your word. May we see Jesus, see what it means to trust him and follow him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know what you think. 2022 doesn't feel like a very good year to be a politician. Uh, whatever sort of side of the, the spectrum you are on politically or whatever, um, it, it appears that 2022 may well be remembered as the year that trust in government and politicians reached a new all-time low. So according to a recent uh, YouGov survey, the number of people who think politicians, speaking of you know, politicians in general, the number of people who think politicians are doing their best for the country is 4%. Uh, last year it was 13%, so which wasn't particularly great either, but now uh, mere 4%, two-thirds of the public believe members of parliament are merely out for themselves. It's pretty depressing, however you look at it. Uh, but what is particularly striking is the mismatch between those feelings about government and politicians and the titles of those who hold highest office. Because those who hold highest office are ministers, aren't they? Ministers of government, that's, that's what they're called. Uh, and leading them, who, who's the one who leads them? It's the prime minister. What is a minister? Well, a minister is a servant. That's what the word means. And uh, Rishi Sunak, therefore, is the chief servant. That's what his job title means. Now, of course, the other place we use that word regularly is church, isn't it? So we have ministers. We have a senior minister. We have an assistant minister. We have associate ministers. In fact, we actually, all of God's people in different ways are ministers, which is a way of drawing attention to how we are all servants people who serve, because that is what a minister is. And we take that kind of language so much for granted most of the time that we probably don't even really notice it anymore. And we also take it for granted that leaders who act for their own interests instead of the interests of those they're so-called serving, we kind of say, well, that, you know, that is bad leadership. And we take that for granted too, whether it's whether we're talking about politics, whether tragically at times we're even talking about the church. And we may be aware of times when we've seen or heard of people who have that label, minister, and yet misuse the office in, in whatever way, in the world, in the church even. Now perhaps we're also a bit resigned to the fact that this is inevitable in the world, that people will misuse power that they're given but still on the whole we don't like it and the reason we don't like it in the end comes back to this reading that we've heard the reason that we don't like it comes back to this figure at the center of the reading that we heard Jesus Christ see the world in which Jesus lived was not a world that prized servants and service its leaders, they weren't called servants, they were called rulers and emperors and governors. And they ruled things. They weren't servants. You know, servants were the people who did the stuff you didn't want to do. The whole point of ruling 
was to kind of shove out, out of the way the, the, the insignificant people so you could get what you want. That's the whole point of ruling, they would have thought. But Jesus Christ has had such an effect on at least Western culture that today we don't even notice how much we take it for granted that acting for the benefit of others is at least what we should aim for and hope for in ourselves and in others. Because at the heart of what Jesus did, and, and indeed at the heart of who Jesus was and is, is an extraordinary, groundbreaking, shocking act of service, symbolised in the episode that we heard read uh, by this washing of his followers' feet. Now, verse 1, this is about Jesus showing his love. Can you see that? Jesus showing his love, including verse 2, to the one who was soon to betray him. Why would he show anyone? Oh, not, not quite ready for that. That's all right. Sorry, there we go. Uh, why would he show any love to him? We have to, to read on. And then, uh, no, we're going to go back to that. And then verses 3 and 4. Listen to, to this, uh, verse 3. Uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he's reminding us exactly who Jesus is. You know, forget prime ministers and presidents. Remember who he is. Look how much power he has, this, 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 this Jesus Christ. He's come from God himself. Jesus is all of these things. And then the first word of verse 4, if you look, is the most important word in the whole reading. What is that word? It's only two letters. It is the word so. Can you see that? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God, he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And he gets water. And he washes his disciples' feet. And he takes the role that only the lowliest slave would have ever done in that culture. And the world was changed forever. And now our leaders are called servants. Because the God of the universe came into the world and served. But the thing is, as we think about this, if we know now that in theory leaders should serve and thinking of others is a good idea, we still struggle in practice. Don't we? Actually, on this point, we often hold to what you might call a form of cakeism. Uh, another favourite political phrase, we want to have our cake and eat it. See, we like the idea of serving others. You know, think big tick, yeah, serving others, brilliant, brilliant. But actually in our hearts, we know that in different ways, actually we all have a bit of that thing that we dislike, particularly in leaders when we see it, if we're honest, that we, we still want others to serve us. And to greater or lesser extents, we let that show in, in our behaviour. 
We like the idea of serving others, but we find it hard to do. We want to talk of service while simultaneously somehow being served. So what can we do about that? Because as you look around the world, we can see in many ways that is the cause of so much of the mess we find in the world around us and in our own lives. So is there any hope? Well, yes, there is, and it comes from these verses. So two things to see. You can see on the back of the, um, on the notice sheet. Here we go. First of all, we must be served by Jesus. We must be served by Jesus from the first 11 verses. So Jesus has taken the role of a servant. He's washing feet, and Peter acts with characteristic shock in response to what he sees. It's been said that Peter suffered from constant foot-in-mouth disease because he, he constantly blurts things out that he later regrets. And uh, generally, he, he blurts out what everyone is kind of thinking but doesn't have the guts to say, and he says it. But you're not going to wash my feet, are you? He says to Jesus. And Jesus' response shows that this isn't really about foot washing exactly, but it's about what will follow later. So John has alerted to this, to us, this um, in, in verse 1 by talking about the hour. So this word hour, as we've gone through John's gospel, we've heard it a couple of times. Um, we, back in chapter 2 at the beginning, Jesus was at a wedding in Cana. And I don't know if you know that story, but he's at the wedding. It's the, it's the water into wine miracle. And he's, he's there, and um, his mother sort of encourages him to help with this rather embarrassing social situation where they've run out of wine. And he says, my time has not yet come. The hour, he says, has not yet come. And so we're saying, okay, what is going, when will his hour come? What will that look like? And through the gospel, it keeps on coming up again. The hour is coming. The hour of glory is coming, we heard in the, in the last chapter. And then when his hour actually comes in chapters 18 and 19, we discover that the hour that we've been waiting for all through the gospel, the hour of his glory, is in fact his death. That is the hour that we're waiting for. And so that is what this foot washing, this washing of feet, this extraordinary act of service, it is pointing us forward to that. That is the point of it. The man who is God pouring himself out in service for his people. So what did you see this? He says, uh, verse 7, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. When the hour comes, in other words. But uh, no, says Peter, still fixated on the idea of him washing his feet. Uh, and so Jesus makes it clear, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So what he's saying is that far from this being a kind of awkward, embarrassing social situation, letting Jesus serve him is absolutely intrinsic to belonging to him. So, so often you hear a kind of attitude that sounds a bit like this uh, quote from Michael Bloomberg, who was for many years the, the, the mayor of New York. And uh, he said he'd done a lot of work on sort of gun safety and obesity and smoking cessation. He's very proud of this. And so um, he said in an interview, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now, that is 
confidence, isn't it? But some of us may be sort of slightly prone to that kind of thinking. On the other hand, others will think, well, there's no way anyone that, that God could accept someone like me, given who I am and what I've done. And actually, neither type of thinking has any place here. Because Jesus is saying we must be served by him. We're not going to get ourselves in. It's his death that is going to be the way that we are led into God's presence for eternity. It's through him. He must serve us. We must let him serve us through his death. But still, Peter doesn't really get it. So verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then a slightly puzzling response. Do you hear this? What do you make of this? Jesus answered, verse 10, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Now, what does this mean? Well, people have read all kinds of things into this. The funny thing is, John, as, as the gospel writer, is usually, he's really, he's really careful to spell things out when he thinks they're not clear. So he normally sort of says, if there's something slightly puzzling, he says, well, this is why Jesus said it. And actually, that's exactly what he does in the next verse. So he has a little explanatory comment for us. It's why John's gospel is much longer than all the other gospels, because he keeps stopping to kind of tell us what it means. So verse 11, he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. So he's thinking his readers are going to be puzzled by the, the second half of that verse. So he needs to explain that it, you know, he knows that Judas is among those that he's about, of those he's about to wash their feet. Um, but th that kind of tells us that he obviously doesn't think that this distinction between washing the body and washing the feet needs much further explanation. He kind of thinks it's obvious, whatever it is. The, the issue seems to be Peter refusing to let Jesus tell him what he needs and Peter therefore trying to direct things himself. Seems to, can you see that's what's going on? So... Uh, you know, first of all, no, 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 you can't possibly wash my feet. And then Jesus saying, no, no, I must wash your feet. Oh, no, no, then you must wash my body. And Jesus is saying, no, your body is already clean. Now, this seems to mean that, that they are already clean on the inside. We've had this concept of being born again in the gospel back in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. With, so that, that Jesus is saying, if you, if you know me, if you're friends with me, if you're with me, then you are clean. You are born again. And then he's saying, but with the exception of Judas, who he knows will turn out not to be one of his people. But he's saying, you know, but otherwise you already belong to me. And therefore you need me to wash your feet and only your feet. And if, if, and if washing, his, washing their feet, which again is the... the the worst job, you know, washing the rest of the body might be a job you could give to a, a, a higher slave, but the washing of the feet, which is a regular thing that has to happen in a dusty culture like that, that's the worst job, and that is about Jesus' death, because that's the worst thing that could happen. You put it together and you can see Jesus is saying, you need my death, and only my death in order to meet all of your needs for forgiveness, past, present, and future. There is a one-off cleansing from sin when we come to faith in 
Jesus, being born again, as we have seen it's, it's sometimes called. But after that, you don't need to keep on being born again. But despite our new identity, we do still continue to sin. And that sin still needs Jesus' death to deal with it. And so he's saying we must be served by Jesus, but not just as a one-off, but throughout our lives. This reliance on him continues. So we often think, I don't know if you've you've thought about this, we often think that the Christian life, as you go on as a Christian, must somehow be about needing Jesus less as you go on. Because we kind of, you know, we reason to ourselves, well, if, if kind of going on the Christian life, that ought to mean kind of becoming more holy, becoming more like God through your life. That would be good, wouldn't it? Making progress in your life. And, well, therefore, if you're doing that, you need Jesus less, we might think. Because, you know, well, there'll be less sin to confess because, you know, I'm getting better. And I'm seeing more evidence of his work in my life. And so we kind of think that's what it ought to be like. I ought to be needing Jesus left. But then I kind of despair because I find the reality is the complete opposite, it appears. That I'm not becoming less conscious of sin and more conscious of being holy. It's the very opposite. I'm becoming more conscious of, of sin. And then I start to despair and wonder if, you know, am I really a Christian? But you see, that is the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. The implication is that even though our whole body has been washed and we are right with God, we still need him to keep washing our feet. And so progress in the Christian life as we go on won't mean that we need Jesus less. It will mean that we need him more and that we're certainly that we're aware of needing him more and more. It's certainly my experience as going on as a Christian. Over, over time as a Christian, you simply become more and more aware of the ways that sin spoils us and ruins us and twists all our motives. And, you know, I think I, I think I became a Christian 25 years ago. And when I became a Christian, when I came to faith, I was hardly aware of any of those things in my life, in one sense. Um, and, and, and no doubt, as time goes on, I will only become more and more aware of those things, of my inbuilt tendency to, to selfishness and self-pity and self-centeredness and everything else that goes with that. So what does this mean then? It means don't despair when you realise you need Jesus' forgiveness yet again. Realise, no, we must be served by Jesus. And his death is enough to meet every need we have to be washed and forgiven past, present and future. We must be served by Jesus. But then he continues. Here's the second thing. We must serve like Jesus. Verses 12 to 17. What I have done for you, he says, is what you now need to do for others. So twice, can you see in those verses from verse uh, 12 and th- uh, and, and up to 14, or verses 13 and 14, he uses that phrase, teacher and Lord, and then Lord and teacher. He keeps saying, look, look what I, your Lord and teacher, your teacher and Lord, look what I have done for you. Why does he keep using that phrase? He's reminding them and us. He's re- remember that? Back in verses 3 and 4, he's reminding them who he is. And he's reminding them, therefore, of that little word, so. That being God on earth as a human being means serving. So when God comes to earth, 
Therefore, obviously, he serves his people because that is what being teacher and Lord looks like. And so you put that together and you're, you're left with the conclusion, well, if that's the case, who are we to say that we won't serve others and they must instead serve us? Do you see verse 15? I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And that is devastating, isn't it? When we think of what that means for our lives now and how easily we put ourselves into situations thinking, yeah, now it's time for people to serve me and that's what I want in this situation. No, no servant is greater from, than his master. And if you're following Jesus, you're following the one who has washed your feet and washed my feet. So who are we to say that others should serve us? There's a sense in which Jesus is saying to his followers, I am your servant, but that doesn't make you my master. Do you see? You don't just get to put your feet up and act as if I'm the butler responding to your every beck and call, doing exactly what you want on your terms. No, Jesus is saying, look, by serving you in this way, I am showing you what leadership looks like. Now that you know these things, verse 17, you will be blessed if you do them. And that is why we end up with leaders taking on the title of minister, because that is what a leader is. So I have loved you like this, now you go and do likewise. So the question is then, what does this mean for Christians today? Now, sometimes Christians have said, well, that means we should literally wash each other's feet. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. He said, wash your feet. He said, I've done this, now you need to do this for others. So some of you will know my brother is a missionary in Madagascar with his family, a medical missionary. And uh, there they've, they've just set up a program for um, training Malagasy surgeons. My brother's a surgeon, and so they have been training these surgeons from that country, Christian surgeons. So they've got homegrown doctors being trained. And one of the first things they did, they set up this program. It's kind of the equivalent of you know, the stuff the NHS has for junior doctors to kind of train them and get them onto the next level. And they set up this program. First thing they did, first day, the senior leaders leading this program washed the feet of the trainee surgeons. It's a kind of symbolic act to show we're your leaders. This is what leadership means. It means serving. It's quite striking, isn't it? But the thing you have to then think is, is that if that is literally what Jesus means, that, that that is the full sense in which we just need to do what he says here. It's all about foot washing. We need to wash feet. There's a sense in which actually in our culture today, it's slightly lost the meaning, certainly in the West, that it would have had then. So um, I've, I've previously been part of a church that annually, uh, annually used to have an actual service of foot washing. So we, everyone would come and then uh, the vicars would actually wash people's feet. So some I did actually wash people's feet. But the funny thing about that was, so we do this service every, every year, it was kind of Maundy Thursday, but the funny thing about it was what would actually happen is that everyone that would, would you know, prepare to come to this service, and what they'd do is they'd, they'd think, okay, I'm going to have my feet washed tonight, therefore I must have a shower. And so they would have a shower, and they'd make sure their feet were nice and clean so that they could present a nice, non-smelly, beautifully presented foot to the vicar who would then sort of ceremonially wash their foot. Their foot. 
Is, is that actually what Jesus is, is talking about here, is the question. You can see how in Western culture that is exactly the sort of thing that we do. But that's partly because we don't live in a world where your feet get dusty and where there are slaves who normally have the job of washing them for you. We just don't live in that world anymore. And actually, when you put that together with the fact that Jesus has made it clear that this isn't about his washing people's feet, it's actually about his death. It's a symbol, in other words. It's right, therefore, for us to think, well, what does it mean for us to love people like Jesus has loved us? And actually, the rest of the Bible challenges us with the same kind of question. Now, we can't literally die for people's sins, but we can lay down our lives for people. Again, maybe not exactly literally, but we can give ourselves up, give up our rights, use our power for others. That is what it means to wash the feet of others. A friend of mine sums up what this looks like, like this. Uh, He says, lions eat first, leaders eat last. Lions eat first, leaders eat last. And if you think about that, which of those two descriptions or types of approach to life fit our attitude better? We might think, well, I'm, I'm not a leader. But actually, there's nothing here that says it's only leaders who should be like this. Do you see that? Jesus isn't, just, isn't actually just saying, oh, leaders should wash other people's feet. He is saying that. And it's the fact that the world tends to think that leaders don't have to serve. Well, of course, everyone else does. You know, one rule for them and another one uh, for everyone else and so on. But, of course, the point is this is for everyone, not least leaders. And there may be times when serving others comes really easily. And that's usually when those others are easy to love and, and, give, and give ourselves up for but that's not always the case, isn't it? So the guy at school who is always making fun of you in class and serving him when he needs help with something is not going to come easily. You know, it's much easier to want to kind of give him a taste of his own medicine at the first opportunity. But what does it look like when we remember how we have first been served by Jesus? Or the colleague at work who, who, who looks like she's only in it for the next promotion, no matter what it costs those around her. Well, serving her is not going to come easily. It's much easier to, you know, to want her to fail as quickly as possible, bring her down. But what does it look like when we remember how we have first been served by Jesus? You know, the awkward person that no one wants to hang out with. You know, they're socially a little bit weird, and it's no surprise people avoid them. Serving them is not going to come easily, but what does it look like when we remember how we have first been served by Jesus? What about serving at church? You know, there'll be times when we think, you know, surely someone else can do this now, whatever it is. You know, I don't do that kind of job. So-and-so gives no time, and I give loads of time, so I've done my bit. Well, none of these situations are easy and have easy answers, but Jesus washed his followers' feet.
feet. He washed our feet by dying on the cross for us. Ultimately, we'll never find the motivation to serve others until and unless we realise what it means for Jesus to have served us. Are there any limits to the love that we need to show? Is there a time when we can say that we've loved enough? Well, of course, this isn't a a call to to guilt-driven, idolatrous workaholism. But we have been loved with a love that cost Jesus everything. And as a result, we can never out-love this love. We can never out-serve this servant. We can never out-give God. What else can we do but follow Jesus as his humble servants to the self-giving of the cross? Now that you know these things, he says, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's just pause for a moment together now before we pray. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Help us if we've not yet come to him to receive what he offers us. Help us to come and say, please, Lord, would you serve me? Thank you for your death. Thank you that you are the God who washes your disciples' feet. And through trusting in him, might we know the joy of belonging to him, of being born again, cleaned, and then go on to love as he has loved us, to lay down our lives, to live as servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.